Am I Reister or Am I Wrong? With, of course, the guy I'm always with now, Mr. Ralph Amsden. So these MLK, Martin Luther King celebrations, some of these are very disingenuous and it is very frustrating. It's troubling. People at the Capitol who the rioters there, these were regular people, PTA moms, business owners, accountants, soccer coaches, florists, real estate agents. So you should be careful about what you're doing in your own communities. Pro sports ownership has donated to QAnon crazies and can they use ignorance as an excuse? The NFL end zone touchback rule has caused all sorts of controversy. And I want to tell people to stop crying about it. We'll see what Ralph says. And Tennessee football fans are like a bunch of other programs around the country. They are chasing unreal expectations. Am I right, sir? Am I wrong? Is the intersection where sports, business, society, and pop culture meet the truth because the truth is the most important thing that we have. Monday, Wednesday, Fridays around 12, 1 o'clock. Fire. Facts only. Check your feelings at the door. No BS is allowed because we keep it 100. Make sure you download the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, tell everybody about it, watch it on YouTube, whatever, and you can shoot us an email. I'm Matt, I-M-M-A-D, at unafraidshow.com. Subscribe, tell a friend, and all of that. So, Ralph, it's Martin Luther King Day. Aren't you, like, super excited? Aren't you excited about all these, like, you know, messages of unity and peace from the FBI and everybody else? I did see uh, I did see ICE Immigration and Customs Enforcement uh, just put out their their uh, branded Martin Luther King quote. It's just sort of become a thing that that, that everybody does. Everybody puts out a Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, quote um, to to just be part of I guess the the celebration that this um, holiday has become, and instead of one of action and solemn reflection and everything like that. And so um, it, it is interesting to see his daughter, you know, quote tweet immigration and customs enforcement and ask them to kindly not do things like that. And then in previous years have the FBI who, uh, you know, played a pretty large role in in the skepticism of his movement overall Um, to to have them celebrating him without any type of mea culpa is it's weird. It's weird. It's just, it's just become another thing that everybody has the ability to claim bits and pieces of without really taking into the, the, to con into consideration the context of the whole of what Martin Luther King Jr. was trying to accomplish, who he was as a person, um, for better, for worse, all of it. That's the part that's wild to me, though, is that they have the audacity, like the FBI and other people who clearly, okay, if you don't, if you don't know, there is a big MLK documentary that's come out about him and the FBI. Like the FBI, these are the same people that wiretapped him, thought he was going to take the country to the Communist Party. Uh, and like it ballooned quickly to where that they started. They even wrote a f- anonymous note from a wanted it to be from a Negro and telling him that he should kill himself. But then they want to go out there and put out quotes. There's a time and place when silence is betrayal. 
Faith is taking the first step when you can't see the whole staircase. Let no man pull you as so low to hate him. Like, dude, these are just opportunities for, you know, it's, it's almost like it becomes unpopular to be on the outside of it and to not say something about it. But wouldn't it be nice if the FBI was like, yo, here's what we did. Because mind you, people found all this out from declassified information and a Freedom of Information Act request. They found this information out, but you still got the FBI out here tweeting, yeah, hey, great job, Martin Luther King. We love you. No, you did. You're a damn lie. Yeah, I mean, it's it, the FBI. You have to take into, into consideration what the FBI was then and what it is now. The FBI now is full of rank and file agents who had the same like elementary school lessons that you and I did about Martin Luther King being the the peaceful, nonviolent confrontation guy that made us all equal, George. We're all equal now. Everything's good. So, yeah, everything's you know, normal. they, fine. they got those all same right, lessons so, in elementary school that we so did. So should you and- get a pass for that, though? Should you get a pass for saying, okay, that was the old FBI. We're the new FBI, you know. Like our parents were racist. We're not the racist ones. I don't know. I think context is important with everything. I, I think, I think it's a disease. The the way that we misquote and use um, historical figures from Martin Luther King Jr. to to Jesus to Ralph Waldo Emerson to George Orwell this last week uh, to not take into consideration. <laughs> yeah. To, to not take into consideration the context in which anything has been said is always dangerous. I remember, I, you know, I was conversing with a, with a, um, uh, the father of a player who's a really well-known player, so I'm not going to name drop on this. But I remember it, just being a reporter, you know, having to write about his situation and his kid's situation. He called me up and he recited Isaiah 54 on the phone with me, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. And I asked him, you know, are you Isaiah? <laughs> like, are you, <laughs> you know, wh- it, it's, it's, it's just, it's important to not make everything so personal as to forget where those things came from in the first place. I listened, and this is not to pat myself on the back, but every year uh, I either read, a letter from a, a, a Birmingham jail, or I listened to Martin Luther King's 1964 speech that he gave at Arizona State. Um, one of the things that he was talking about was not just American economic uh, equality, but uh, all over the world. He's talking about the slums in India and, and places like that and making sure that people who don't have, have, and that you make sacrifices. And it's almost everything that he says, whether he was talking to uh, uh, black people who were feeling the weight of oppression, uh, white people who were standing idly by and hoping that time was going to cure uh, all ills, or talking to blatantly racist people, um, you know, like the George Wallaces of the time who wanted to keep segregation uh, something that was just in place and the status quo. He was making everybody uncomfortable with everything he said. So I always get really weirded out when his quotes are used to spread comfort and joy um, when he was really there to bring the sword and make sure that you were really never standing on your own two feet, always pointed in a direction and moving forward. Correct. And people forget that like his platform was nonviolence, but he violence was used against him, violent tactics. 
and that these peaceful protests, that they caused problems. They caused issues. People were upset. This is this is why people got beat up uh, at Woolworth lunch counters, the hosed in the streets, integration. Like people forget that it was 55, barely 55 years ago that that my parents actually, no, 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 not even my my, my parents, because they're both older than uh, that, that people born after my parents are the first people who were after the voting act was uh, passed, where they had opportunities to go to whatever school they wanted to. That's literally my generation. I was born in 81. I mean, really? Like pe people think that we're further away from things than we really are. But there are two ML MLK quotes that I absolutely love. And I think that really apply to the time that we live in now. That our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter because it's real easy to, you know, to say, Oh, this doesn't apply to me. This isn't my fight. I'm gonna leave it alone. And the second one is, is in the end, we will not remember the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. And as a person who, would be willing to take their shirt off and give the, their last to help somebody who's their friend, somebody that they love. When you feel like that person is silent in times that they should be, you know, have your back. I don't think there's anything more hurtful than that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's what, you know, I, I've been struggling with and we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a second, I think is I have some friends that have lost to the whole QAnon way of thinking. And when I get desperate talking to those friends, telling them, you know, this isn't the way you're going to feel bad about this. You really look like a, an asshole right now. It wasn't my friends who fell victim to QAnon that I was frustrated with. It's my friends who would reach out to me and tell me that I'm being impolite. Um, and that they would take my desperation and that was the thing that made them feel uncomfortable. Not that we have a mutual friend slipping into some nonsensical, uh, way of thinking. And I think, I think that it needs to be recognized that if you are, that it is completely understandable why you wouldn't be a person of, of action, right? Like Martin Luther King Jr. was dead at 39 years old, um, because he was a, a, person of action. He wasn't a superhero. He wasn't even like particularly emotionally unassailable. By age 12, he had tried to kill himself because he thought that his grandma died because he snuck away to see a parade and lied about his whereabouts. When he was killed at 39, his biographer said that he had the heart of a man in his 60s. The things that Martin Luther King Jr. felt, he felt really deeply. He acted on those things and it put his physical, mental, and emotional health at risk constantly. And life is nothing if not like a persistent struggle against the temptation to stand in uh, currents that push against you the least, uh, the ones that exact the smallest amount of toll over time. So for the people who do feel called to stand in their principles in defiance of the urge uh, to pursue a long, comfortable life on the riverbank, you know, you, we, have to, we have to lift those people up. We have to lift up the people um, and celebrate the people who are taking the brunt of those currents, realizing that there's people downriver who are shielded.
because of it, right? Like we need to let those people know that they're in good company. We need to let them know that we, we see them and, and we need to celebrate them. And it can't just be lip service. It can't just be like, I just saw a Washington football team tweet come across my timeline as we're recording this, that just is the branded uh, golden and yellow um, with Martin Luther King's face on it. Like we can't make Martin Luther King our brand. We have yes. to see what he was about and we have to follow that example which will create discomfort. Yes, dude. And the other thing is, is that the, another thing that frustrates me, it's kind of like the thing that frustrates me with Stacey Abrams uh, out in Georgia. And it's not nothing to do with her is that we forget that there were other people who were very important in the movement that, that Stacey Abrams wasn't the only person doing big things out in Georgia. Like that this is not, I mean, like everybody from uh, Garvey to just, there are so many. I mean, yes, we so, um, celebrate Rosa Parks and Little Rock Nine, documentaries made about, about them, uh, the people at the Woolworth lunch counter, the Freedom Riders. Like that we just have to make sure that we're not just isolating it to one person. Um, but... That leads to the, you were talking about the QAnon people and all of that. And I was thinking about it, Ralph, that the people at the Capitol building, the people who stormed the Capitol, those, those traitors, they were normal people. Like these are people in your PTA. These are people in your, uh, in your community, your florist, your accountant, you're all of this. And these are people who share. I mean, my, mind you, it's hard to differentiate between who's who, right? But if you're marching and you're riding with the proud boys and people wearing anti-Semitic shirts and you're talking about kill Mike Pence, people with QAnon signs, all of that. Uh, how are we supposed to think that you don't believe the same thing that they believe and I was like, yo, these are normal people. So when racist stuff, when people say racist things happen to them, regardless of whatever color they are, when they say racist things happen to them, people say, oh, no, that wasn't like that. They, you probably thought it was something else. It's a misunderstanding. You know, you everything is not racist. But then when you realize that these are normal, everyday people, that were at the Capitol with all these signs, believing all this crazy nonsense. How are you not supposed to believe that, that there is more racial undertones in America than what we see or that what we want to believe? That's a big question. I don't know. I, I, I will agree with you that these are, I mean, cause these are definitely my neighbors. These are definitely people in my, that I, I consider family friends that I grew up with that are dealing with some of these questions right now that have fallen into this thing of believing, believing very much, George, that they are the good guys. Right. And so, um, one of the things that we saw happen, uh, was QAnon really adopted this, um, this whole like anti child trafficking movement. Um, and the cognitive dissonance that they were able to skip over in their support of an administration that actually 
did have some policies that put kids in harm's way as far as immigration and a president that openly celebrates Andrew Jackson at every turn who actually was a human child trafficker for his entire life. Like the cognitive dissonance that this president is actually leading an underground movement to help save kids caught a lot of people up who just liked the idea of kids being safe, right? These are people who absolutely believe that they, um, for the most part, have the right mindset and that they're, at the end of the day, they're trying to help. And I remember one of the primary founders of one of the anti-human trafficker movements accepted all of this help. And he said, you know, I'm not going to worry too much about how people got here to help me with my movement. Um, I'm just going to take the help as it comes. And one of the unfortunate things about that is once you legitimize pieces of some of this stuff, it becomes that much easier to justify getting deeper and deeper into a lot of the things that it's talking about. We are witnessing the mainstreaming of the the uh, Sparrow and his followers from Game of Thrones. and um, and And these people don't in any way believe that they are doing anything other than trying to save children and save America. And so when they're next to a guy in a beard with a Camp Auschwitz shirt on or somebody else who uh, doesn't believe in the the actual genetic um, uh, sameness of other races – they're not hearing those things. They're just, so you don't they're doing think that those are the same people. You think that they're I, different people. I think they're doing the same thing that the guy that had the foundation is doing. They're saying, I'm not going to worry too much about how the help got here. I'm just going to take the help. And so while you have a lot of people who say, Hey, if you're on the same side as, as a lot of these other people, you need to stay, take stock of which side you're actually on. That's not the way these people think. And so you're trying to hold them accountable in a way that they're never going to recognize as accountability. Yeah. The the thing that's scary is probably about the QAnon the stuff to me is that it spread so much through social media, YouTube, Facebook groups, all of this stuff that they're trying to crack down on now. But it's all of these dates and times that, well, Oh, January 6th is going to be the day uh, the world's going to come to an end. They're going to lock up Biden on Dece- on uh, January 20th, like all of these dates that have passed and they end up looking like idiots. But then there's all of a sudden some new sign. There's a, and I don't even know how to help these people. I don't know how to help these people. But on the other side of it, though, I don't know how to differentiate or even know if I believe that there's a difference in those people and people who are racist, because I think some of them, that there's a huge overlap. Would that, okay. So that's, that, that puts me in a position. I want to ask you this question. If you were out at a, at a March and one of the only times I've left a a house in the last 10 months was to go out with a group of people, um, not necessarily to, to, to March, uh, but to pray for the people who were marching, that they would be safe and hurt, right? Yeah. And so, um, but if you were out at a march and somebody was out there breaking windows and somebody turned around and said to you, George, like, I don't know how to differentiate between the people who are marching and the people who are who are breaking windows, 
I think you would be defensive about that. And I think that some of these people who believe that they're in the right and trying to save America and democracy are, are thinking to themselves, well, I'm not a racist. And if you can't tell the difference, then that's on, that's your fault. And I'm not going to take you seriously anymore. Okay. So, okay. So, I mean, it, it's one of those things like the company that you keep, right? So, Yes, there are some people who are going to be on your side that have different beliefs and are bad apples, if you if you will. But when you have so many different groups there that are that pedal hate, that pedal anti-Semitic views, like it, it wasn't like it was just one of them; it's multiple of them. So if that's the crowd that you're around, and, and I'm, I and I do believe that there's different levels of racism. I think that there are people who are ignorant because of their upbringing, because I, I, I think that a lot of it, that a lot of things that get called racist are people were born in different geographies, were grown up around different people, that they don't have that same knowledge. So that's why I'm saying ignorance is that in terms of a lack of knowledge that they don't have that real world experience or that practical experience with people. So they're listening to what other people have told them. So at the end, but do, are those people redeemable? Absolutely. Are the other people redeemable who are flat racist too? Yes, they are redeemable as well. However, when you have information and you have it available to you, you are responsible for it. It's like, it's like if you are a person who was abused as a kid, you're not responsible for, well, actually, it's not your fault that that happened to you. It's not your fault because other people are at fault for what they did to you. But you are responsible for the changes that happen in your life. Does that make sense? Like, so yeah. So, and, and that's the part that scares me about racism, to be honest with you, is because you don't know who it is because, okay, so if I can't differentiate, there's PTA moms, there are business owners, accountants, soccer coaches, florists, real estate agents, all of that there. So if I can't differentiate and some of these people put on a really brave face and, you know, they, they act like, oh, everything's normal out in their real normal everyday life. But then they got secret stuff going on. And so I was thinking about it in terms of my neighborhood. Uh, there are two black families that live in my neighborhood, two that are in within like four or five streets that that I've seen. There are a couple of there's like an Armenian family across the street, but it's, it's not very color field. Right. So I was thinking if there are racist people who live around me. Right. I don't know who they are. Because I've driven because I've driven a block and a half down and somebody had their garage open Confederate flag in there. So I already know what's up in there. And then I'm looking, I'm like, OK, they I don't know who they are, but I guarantee they know who the black family that lives at the, 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 the biggest house in the corner. I guarantee they know who I am if they want if something wants to pop off. So this has made me very nervous with the community that I live in. I know that there are that probably the majority of the people I live around don't feel like that, but there probably are some. So 
And that concerns me because I don't know who they are, but they definitely know who I am and where I live. I I think that, you know, it's a weird time in that we know how a lot of people think because of social media and be, and our social media neighborhood might not necessarily be the same as the neighborhood that we live in. You know, I know that I had a neighbor shooting off fireworks on January 6th as the Capitol was being sieged. I know why they were shooting those fireworks off. I see the flag that they fly, the election flag that they still have out. Like I see those the things. The loser flag. I, yeah. Yeah, well, any, any flag with another dude's name on it makes me nervous, regardless <laughs> of party or candidate. That's like a false idol. Oh, it's not like one. It, it is for a hundred percent is idolatry. But like, I just I, I don't know, man. Some of the stuff that you said sticks out to me because I I I don't know, I don't know how you feel about it. I don't know if you feel like it's the same thing for you to say. Ultimately, at some point, you're responsible for your actions and your destiny to some of these people who were involved in some of these um, uh, anti-Dominion software, anti or, or election audit protests or, or wh- whatever else their cause is, but also hear people consistently um, call out the, the, the black community and say stuff like, hey, um, you're not a slave, right? And so, like, is it at, at what point does it feel like the same message is just being delivered to everyone of you're ultimately responsible for who you are and your actions? And I don't want to hear anything about where you came from or what your history is okay. or what your background that's is. A, that's a fair question, because I'm a person who believes that if you are a black person, yes, you've had a, a hard experience. You may have experienced racism, all of that, that you cannot use racism as an excuse to not succeed in life. Yes, it's there, but there is also opportunity. Does that mean that things won't necessarily be harder for you in some circumstances? No, things will be harder for you, but that doesn't mean that it's not possible to get it done. That's my, that's the way I look at it is that you can't use it as an excuse. You can't use it as a crutch. But those things are very real and very there. So that's the way I see it. Yeah, I don't know. It's it, you know, it's a it's a weird thing for me. My, my mom, it, uh, she was Irish Catholic, um, and you know, my dad is from a, a reservation um, in southeastern Montana. And you know, I still have a lot of family on on the reservation uh, near Ashland, Montana. Um, and, you know, Northern Cheyenne people, and they, you know, it's hard for me to look at some of the circumstances that they're in, and not say that no, like you are born into so much of this that you carry the weight of that uh, generationally. Yeah, and, and well, and, real real quick, and the other part is is the diff the disenfranchisement in terms of wealth because like in slavery when slavery ended the united states government gave slave owners reparations for uh for the money that they were going to lose but then the slaves didn't have land like you were like you were free but then you were doomed to a life of poverty and a life of hunger like you didn't have anything to just turn to. So that I, I just, 
it is it, and and I just I don't, I don't want it to be I don't want it to be um misconstrued that I'm equating the very recent struggle of people who have the ability to afford $10,000 worth of tactical gear on their outfit and drive a <laughs> and drive a, a lifted truck and paid 64.99 per Trump flag to to have put in the bed of their truck that also have the ability to get paid time off to go out to a protest and then storm the Capitol and then have bail money after the fact. That's not oppression. Like that's there, there might be some of some victimhood there and a victim mindset. But what I am trying to get at is if the same message that didn't work for generations of trying to tell people like, no, actually you are on equal footing and your problems aren't actually problems. If that never worked, if that never worked in the way that the people who didn't want to believe that there were that, that there were issues with equity amongst uh, different uh, racial makeups in this country, I just hope that we learn the lesson that it's definitely not going to work when first generation people who feel kind of sad about one election are in their feelings about it. Like they're not going to see it as you're in the wrong again these people believe they're in the right and they're doing the right thing and you're never gonna break through that veneer okay so now the people who think they're doing the 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 right thing let's look at some of these pro sports owners who have donated to QAnon crazy so so you brought this up to me i'll let you talk about it because can they now use this as an excuse and saying that they didn't know that these were QAnon crazies. Okay, so uh, owners have money, which means that they're going to get solicited for not just charitable donations, but political donations. It is completely to be expected that the people with money in this country, all of whom uh, would fit into that category when you're talking about pro sports, majority and minority owners of franchises, all of them are going to be hit up constantly to make political donations. Some of these people are politically conservative and they donate to conservative candidates as one would expect. The owner of the San Francisco Giants and the owner of the uh, the, the Arizona Diamondbacks were recently in the news for having donated the max allowable amount under their names and their wife's names to Lauren Boebert, uh, congressional representative from Colorado, who yep. has like a long... Uh, petty law-breaking uh, arrest record, mostly for uh, uh, traffic-related issues and not showing up for court, uh, and who also has um, espoused some sympathies with, uh, with with the QAnon mindset. Now, obviously, she's been much more in the news for like tweeting Nancy Pelosi's location while the Capitol was being stormed, um, and also, Traitor. you know, uh, for for not uh, wanting to walk through a metal detector. Um, because she is the person who got national attention for saying that she was going to bring guns to DC um, on her person, which you're not allowed to do in that city. So um, now that some of the more wild stuff has come out about her and her candidacy, especially that she is a congressional representative, people want to hold the San Francisco Giants 88-year-old owner and uh, Ken Kendrick, the the owner of the Arizona Diamondbacks, who actually did help fund, I think, like an anti-Trump conservative pack at one point. Um, they want to hold these people accountable for the things that are currently happening for donations that they made back in September. So my question to you, George, is 
can't, can you, can you reasonably hold them accountable for things that are happening now for donations that were made in the past? I think, yeah, on, on, on some level, yes. The issue is, is that you should probably, because maybe some of them just, just donated and didn't really look at their platforms and all of that. I think that there's an element of, yeah, you can claim a little bit of ignorance, but you can't claim no responsibility because you can say I was ignorant about what she did or what, but you can't say that you don't have responsibility because you have to be extremely careful where you donate your time. What, what is the, what does the Bible say? Guard your eyes, guard your ears, guard your, guard your heart, guard all of it, guard all of it, what you're putting into it and where you spend your treasure is where your heart is. So you can say, I didn't know, but that doesn't mean that you get a pass because you should have known. Like, shouldn't you, wouldn't you think that people who've made so much money and are financially responsible for the most part, that they would know or pay attention to where their dollars are going? Or do you think that they just donate it because of like single issue, like almost like single issue voters where they're like, well, this person is good and they're going to vote for these policies that help my business. That's, I mean, that's, that's what I choose to believe. I choose to believe that uh, $2,800 per person is peanuts. They're probably donating a lot more under the table to uh, political action committee efforts because you don't have to disclose those. But as far as the actual donate donations directly to a campaign, $2,800 seems a lot of money to me, but to them, that's that's peanuts. And also, I think the reaction to the donations that they're making um, is greatly enhanced because sports fans only know these people from their roles as the owners of the sports franchise. But those people didn't make their money being sports franchise owners. They made their money in business. They made their money in corporate America. They made their money in stocks. They made their money through speculation. They made their money in a million different ways and they're donating to people that they believe will protect those interests. And they're not always necessarily in tune. Um, and Charles Johnson, the owner oh. of the, uh, the, the giants even said like, I don't want, I don't want my donations to, to, to interfere or be wrapped up in um, what my business is with the San Francisco giants yep. to these people. The sports team is part of their portfolio, but we only know their name because of the sports team. And that's the thing that's important to us. And that's our priority. So it means a lot more to us than it does to them. I don't think it means all that much to them. Oh, uh, to, to, to most of them. No, I don't think it does. But when you look at the fact that I do love though, that the players, especially in the NBA, have held their owners accountable because yes, you can have differing political beliefs, but when you're making money off of black bodies, brown bodies for the most part, if you're not supporting their community, that should be a problem, right? Like if you're not doing things to support a community that's making you hundreds of millions of dollars every year, that seems ass backwards to me. And the NBA players have held their owners accountable, making them open up their stadiums for voting and all that. Like, so people can use their civic duty. They can't tell people who to vote for, but just the fact that they are uh, trying to enrich the communities that they then make money off of makes sense to me.
So that brings us back to the whole Martin Luther King thing. So the Arizona Diamondbacks today, they tweeted out a video of two former players who were black, uh, former players, um, talking about essentially what Martin Luther King Jr.'s legacy means to them. What about if those players had something to say about Ken Kendrick's donations to uh, to Lauren Boebert and, and what that means to them on an individual level. Oh, they wouldn't have put it on the damn team site. (laughs) Right. And so it's, it, it, everything, everything, if you're going to use it, you use it for your own purpose. You don't use it in a way that would make you seem like you need to do more or that challenges you to do more. And that's why I'm super uncomfortable with these sports franchises who are donating to political candidates who might not stand for the thing that they have the social media manager run on a holiday. Oh, for for sure. Now we can uh, move on, though, to yesterday controversy. Controversy was abound yesterday in the NFL, and it seemed like that I was on the uh, – well, in, initially I thought that I was on the – like that people were totally against me in this because – the touchback rule that happened in the uh, Kansas City Browns game caused controversy because people are upset. They're like, oh, well, it should not. If they fumble the ball out of the back of the end zone, that's so punitive. It should be, they should get the ball back. The defense didn't recover it. And I'm just like, stop crying about it. Like, give me a reasonable solution that penalizes the offense because the whole goal is to defend your end zone that penalizes the offense, but also doesn't then, but then rewards the defense. People like give it back to them on first down. Well, well, how about if it's third down, the defense has done a good job. Their goal was to stop you. And I don't appreciate people crying about it. Get over it. The rule is a, I don't, I'm not even gonna say it's a good rule. Just it, it, it it's like my dad used to say, tough titty. Like get over it. <laughs> nobody nobody ever considers um nobody ever considers the chain reaction from changing a rule like that. So uh let's say that you're in a situation where you uh there's like less than two minutes left and you're up one or two and you have the ball. And the other team knows that their only shot is to let you score, right? What is to stop a player from throwing the ball on purpose through the back of the end zone to set his own team up back from the 25 with a first down, allowing you to then run out more time, especially if it's fourth down when it happens. Like, I, I don't understand why people have an issue with this. Don't fumble. Thank you. Thank you. Don't fumble Bruh. through don't fumble through the end zone. And also, it's not like this is the targeting rule where the NFL and NCAA tried to get out ahead of something although way late and then in doing so have made things muddier and worse as they also did with the catch rule. This has been the same for as long as I've been a a football fan. This has been the same since it happened to the Dallas Cowboys uh, against the Buffalo Bills. Am I wrong? Like this has been. Dude, it's it's uh, it's one of those rules. That, like people said, oh well, 
maybe they should just make it so the offense can't advance fumbles anytime in the game. And I'm like, what? How does that make sense? So now you want to change the entire way the game is played for a circumstance that happens, you know, five, six times a year. Just hold on to the football. Yes, it's punitive. Uh, Sorry. I mean, I, I don't know what else people want, Ralph. Like, how do you continuously cry about something and then they don't realize, like, what you brought up with the catch rule, with what you brought, I mean, and then instant replay? It hasn't made things better. Like, no. it's also, it's just caused more conflict. It's just, now we're arguing about the minutia. Is there a blade of grass there? And in the NBA, where you knock the ball out of a guy's hand, and then it used to just be the other team's ball, which for all of basketball, but now all of a sudden it's, oh, it might have gone off of his fingernail. I couldn't, I hate it with the power of a thousand suns. And people who want to change the rule are just S-O-F capital T, soft. Yeah, I mean, I just also that you, it wouldn't be fair to me to then find a way to differentiate between Deshaun Jackson leaving the ball at the one because he's dumb sometimes and it rolls (laughs) out of bounds, which would give the other team possession and somebody who just fumbles because they got trucked at the at the goal line. I think you should reward the defense. Also, I think it's one of the most exciting plays in football. Yes. When somebody when somebody goes all out for the goal line and risks possession in order to try to break the plane and they have those uh 60,000 frame per second cameras that you can stare at the whole thing while it's happening. Um yeah, I I love that stuff. It adds a level of suspense to it. And I, I also, I just want it, I want it pointed out to me of like, what would the ripple effect be if you went back through time and changed the rule in the way that you want it changed? Is there some specific objective that you're trying to get at that would help your team? Or do you believe it to be a better thing for the entire league overall and why? And I've just, I've never seen anybody say anything more compelling than this is dumb. Yeah. And you don't ever run... <laughs> You don't ever run away from something. You always run towards. So if you got an idea, present your idea. Yep. But if you think it's bad just because it's bad, save the take. Because then all you are is somebody who is fumbling at the goal line of life with your dumb opinions. Oh, Ralph, I wasn't sure we were going to agree on this one. Wow, spicy, spicy. Um, the, the last thing we got up today. So Tennessee, University of Tennessee, they just fired – uh, Jeremy Pruitt, their head coach, Philip Fulmer, who's their athletic director, he's going to resign, which uh, they kind of seem tied together for, and they're firing him for cause for recruiting violations and all of this. And Ralph was thinking, and I agree with him that Tennessee football fans are chasing unreal expectations after that T Martin national championship, that this is like a national championship blue blood program. It's almost like Texas. Like they think there's something that they're not. And now they're chasing unrealistic expectations. Like the university of Washington got a, what a one shared national championship. And they think that they're supposed to compete for national championships every year. Save it. <laughs> I here, Here's what I think. They have one double digit. So not even 
national championship contention. They have one double-digit win season in the last 16 years. So they are they are offering kids right now, this coaching staff that's going to come in, is offering scholarships to kids right now who have only ever seen one 10-win Tennessee season in their lifetime, and it happened when they were in diapers. Over the course of that same amount of time, they have had nine losing seasons, four of which they started out ranked in the top 25. So this is not a blue blood program. You can be a, you can be, you can have blue blood support without being a blue blood program. Nebraska is on that list. BYU is on that list. And one of the things that causes that to happen is the mythology of your program from success of years past. And for you, that success becomes the standard instead of the exception. And you treat the team like that's the way that things are supposed to always be. You mentally equate your team's level of relevance. Um, this could probably go for Notre Dame fans as well uh, with the best thing you've ever done. And that doesn't work with the you know hottest girl you ever went on a date with or the best tasting meal you've ever had. Like those things, those things can exist on their own. They don't become the standard unless you're mentally ill. Uh, yet here in college football, I just feel like Tennessee fans, which is probably the strongest and most vocal fan base um, in the SEC, if not in all of college football, as far as just supporting the media that cover them and the attention and energy they bring to the program, they honestly believed this coach and the coach before him should have been competing for national titles. I don't think that's the right mindset to have. Okay, so what should their because people would tell you, all right, well, well, that's a loser mentality. Uh, you should be trying to compete for national championships. I I believe that most schools, with the exception of like Alabama, Ohio State, probably and you know, like you know, I had in Clemson right right now because Clemson built themselves up. That until you get to that level that you should be worried about winning your division, winning your conference, and then, you know, and doing that on a year in and year out basis, it's like building blocks. Like you have to build a foundation. You can't say, oh man, uh, I'm gonna go out, I'm gonna go read a book. Now I'm gonna build a rocket to go to the moon. No, dude, you gotta build a rocket that goes up first and then you, there's steps to this. I mean, even SpaceX is showing there are levels to this. They're still blowing up rockets to this day. Yeah, I, I think so. At, there are a lot of people that believe that you can. Um, I think you're probably one of them that you can. If, if you see it, you can achieve it. Um, the power of positive thinking. Yep. Um, that that if you set the expectations, it creates the opportunity to meet the expectations. I believe that to be true somewhat, at least on a personal level, but there is a level of separation between you and what somebody else is trying to accomplish. And our relationship to any program as fans is one in hoping that someone else has the same aspirations as you do. And if you're not willing to say that 
okay, so the program needs to match my energy. And if they're not matching my energy, then they're not going to be successful. Then that's where you should be at instead of saying that it's a loser mindset for people to recognize the reality of the situation, which is that Tennessee is not even an average program over the last decade and a half. Not even an average program. Yep. They are a below average SEC and Power 5 football program overall over the last 15 years. And that, that's just the truth. So you need to adjust your expectations or you will consistently be let down. And if that's if, if that if that's the path you want to go down, then that's fine by me. But this idea that that Jeremy Pruitt should have won them a national championship, and I realize he's in trouble for some other stuff, um, but or or <laughs> they, they ran a coach off before they even he, he ever even had a chance or an opportunity uh, to, to do the job. And I wonder how they Greg feel Sh- about that right yeah, now. Yeah, they probably are wishing that Greg Ciano would walk back through that door right now. Um, but you guys, as always, you guys, uh, thank you guys for listening to Reister or Wrong. I'm George Reister. He's Ralph Amson. You guys make sure that you guys sub- subscribe to the podcast, share it with a friend. You can watch it on YouTube. You can listen to it wherever podcasts are found. Make sure that you share. We want it to continue to grow. Um, and we will catch you guys on Wednesday. And when you guys make some ML, MLK quotes today, make sure that they're genuine. Don't be on no BS. Like, actually live it or don't tweet it. <laughs>